Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. My guest today, Sunitha Krishnan, literally rescues girls from sex slavery. She is the founder of the Indian NGO Prajwala, which both physically removes girls from sexual bondage and provides social, medical, and psychological support for their rehabilitation. She's been beaten, she's been jailed, but nevertheless, Sunitha Krishnan persists, and as she tells me in our conversation, what motivates her in this dangerous work is anger. And that anger stems from her own experience with sexual assault at the age of 15 when she was victim of a gang rape. I met Sunitha Krishnan in June in Yerevan, Armenia, where she was being recognized for her heroic work by the Aurora Humanitarian Initiative. She was one of three finalists for the 2018 Aurora Prize for Awakening Humanity, and though she did not end up winning that award, it went to a Rohingya human rights lawyer named Kya La Ong, her work in the slums of India gained wider attention through this recognition. As you'll see from this interview, Sunitha Krishnan is a powerhouse. You will leave this conversation moved and hopefully inspired, and I will post a link to Prajwala on globaldispatchespodcast.com. And as always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, if you have suggestions of people I should interview, topics I should cover, or just want to let me know what's on your mind, please uh, send me an email, and you can do so using the contact button on the homepage. Now, here is my conversation with Sunitha Krishnan from Yerevan, Armenia. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I think, first of all, sex trafficking is a global problem. It's not just an Indian problem. Um, I'm not sure which country has escaped the the clutches of sex trafficking. Uh, at least uh, recorded history shows around 130 countries do have this problem in small or big measure. And India, uh, maybe because of its population, maybe because of the size of the country, has a larger number of people who are who are sex trafficked. The official estimates is around two to three million people. But uh, as an activist and practitioner, I know that hardly 7% get ever rescued. And uh, for every one single reported case, there would be at least around 30 unreported cases. So I would anyway estimate it between 
14 to 16 million. Uh, the official estimate is a drastic undercount. Uh, it would be anywhere in the world because this this problem is such a clandestine problem. Uh, even officially, it would be very difficult to actually, you know, unravel the entire entire extent and magnitude of the problem because the 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 significant and unique feature of the crime itself that it's a clandestine crime. But I think what is very uh, very uh, very important to understand about this crime in India is the fact that, and not just India, many other countries also have the same problem, is that it is not really understood as an organized crime. It's more understood as a, like a moral crime, mm. you know, and something related to to kind of vulnerable situations uh, in terms of people are poor, so they are getting trafficked, that kind of thing. But not understanding that there is another group of people who are spotting this vulnerability and, you know, they're tapping this vulnerability and trapping this vulnerability for purposes of exploitation. So that aspect of conspiracy of several people is something that people want to ignore. Um, maybe because of ignorance, but I suspect not so much of ignorance, but as a, as a mindful decision to 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 actually not acknowledge uh, this whole network because then it means also to to question your own role in the network mm. because there's a whole lot of people who who live on this crime. It, it's, it's I mean it, it's organized crime is, is, is what you're saying. It, it's, it's an or, it, it, but it's but whether mob. you see a yeah. mafia, mm. you may not see a mafia. It's loosely networked kind of uh, situation but at the same time uh, practitioners like me who are actually involved in removing people from the world of exploitation can see and understand the network because we feel it when we remove somebody from the place of exploitation and what prima facie looks like oh this poor girl in this brothel suddenly in 48 hours time uh, she seems to be having a lot of guardians you know, the hundreds of people standing in the court for her. You mm. know, so there are lawyers representing her, and there are people, you know, spending a lot of money uh, and on her behalf and claiming that she's their daughter or fa- you know, sister or wife or things like that. And that's when you start seeing the network. Uh, so what happens is, as the days goes, you know, in terms of uh, post rescue scenario. Situation. So from the point of removal, every day you can see the crime unfolding mm-hmm. because suddenly you understand it in no uncertain terms. There's another group of people working to somehow pull this girl out of my clutches, you know. So there are people intimidating me, people who are threatening me, people who are sending feelers and messages through different sources to this girl mm-hmm. to go hostile in the court, not to speak in the court you know, and not to speak to us. So that is how you understand the face of the crime, which the larger world ignores. And and it, it's interesting that you um, describe this challenge through the framework of organized crime, uh, because that helps me understand why you personally have been attacked so many times over the years by these criminal networks that you're seeking to expose. How far and wide reaching do these criminal networks uh, go and, and sort of how have you dealt 
with the threats on your own personal safety as you expose these networks and try to rescue people from them? Uh, I think these criminal networks are very well rooted uh, in the very fabric of the society. So, uh, you know, if I have to say what is a manifestation of their intimidation to me from being physically assaulted myself, uh, I have had my my entire setup being, you know, I've been asked to evict, meaning I've, I've been asked to leave, lock, stock and balance, just get out of our place, meaning that's the amount of pressure they can put in. But I've also seen it ha- operating in different ways. Suddenly you have a lot of income tax raids on your on your offices and, you in- know, income tax, income raids. tax raids. And then, uh, you know, you, you have all kinds of people writing letters about you. To, to the ministry and, uh, you know, everywhere you have letters going saying that she's a fraud. She's, you know, a thing right now, just a, a day before I left to, 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 uh, Armenia, uh, to Yerevan for the Aurora's, uh, uh, you know, the entire prize week. Uh, just a day before that, apparently somebody has written a very, very lengthy, long complaint against me to the chief minister. And an inquiry has been thing. And, you know, so there is so many people who don't want you to be there. And they're constantly trying to do it. You And, uh, and you see it in multiple ways, you know, uh, the way they want to wipe you out in terms of uh, thing. Your staff are, are, are uh, beaten up in the mm-hmm. corridors of the court. And you can't call them beaten out because, you know, you can't even say that they were beaten up because they might be just walking and somebody will just come and push them off mm. and then say a sorry, uh, you know? I, I mean, to what extent is this the challenge of uncovering these networks and, and ending trafficking made more difficult because you're not just trying to stop a crime, but you're trying to fight sort of patriarchy? I think, uh, you know, my, I, I, I've always said this in, in all my speeches is that my challenge is not the crime networks. My challenge is not the criminal networks because I can predict them, mm-hmm. you know, because I know they will beat me up. And I understand why, because, you know, see, when I remove a girl from a place of exploitation, I'm actually destroying their livelihood. When I'm actually, you know, making a dent in their economics because I know my girl will be raped 40 times a day, which means there are 40 men who are paying for her body, you know, which means that much of income has been, you know, taken away from you. And, you know, uh, and you will do everything under your, you know, humanly possible for you to somehow get back your income. So I understand why the criminal syndicate behave that way. And I have all my sympathies for them. I don't empathize with them, but my sympathies are there for the lost income and I will continue to destroy their income. And that that's my promise to them. But what I cannot handle and what I find it really very challenging is the social attitude mm. and the attitude of the larger society. You know, this is something predict- predictable and this is something justifiable for me. But this is not because, you know, after so much of trouble of, uh, I don't know whether you can even uh, you know, uh, actually visualize a, a rescue. You know, when when you say a rescue in an Indian, Indian brothel, you're saying that every step of 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 your inside the brothel, you're staking your life. Uh, you know, uh, you you 
you you are going to be killed you know you're asking to be killed because the first thing that they switch off is the mains you know and the, 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 mains? the main the, uh, the, the electricity electricity mains uh. so there's like pitch darkness and you enter and suppose this is a room like this this is too big a room for a brothel there would be smaller cubicles and every every place will have false basements false uh, ceiling uh, roofs uh, walls you know so suddenly you're touching and seeing the crevices where you can open to see if somebody is hidden inside and in between that somebody just stabs you and goes off you can't do anything because that is the situation inside and you're more you're focused on on bringing out as many people outside you know so um it could be a it would be a you know a false ceiling mm-hmm. where you're actually breaking the ceiling open and pulling out taking out people and things like this is what you do in a rescue pro- rescue operation after all that and if rescue is a small activity a dramatic activity a very seemingly heroic activity the bigger heroism is in the rehabilitation program mm-hmm. you know so from the point of rescue to reintegration it's a long journey for the victim and for a caregiver like me so bringing her out of that rut bringing her out of that hell and making her understand that there is life beyond that tragedy is is a huge world of challenges after all that struggle that we do you know when the society rejects this girl you don't know what to do mm-hmm. you know because this is what you gave her the hope this is a world you can live back you can start back life fresh you know you can start a new life and everything and then the world says no we don't want her back family says we don't want her back you know people will not give her employment because oh my god she's from that background you mm-hmm. know we will have other problems so i think that you know that's like attitude, the ultimate challenge yeah, is changing that, that sort is, of patriarchal yeah, attitude that is one of the many challenges that i have the other challenges of course is breaking your head with the with the governments to to take up this cause mm-hmm. you know because as a civil society organization you have your limitations you can't be doing it all mm-hmm. you know and the state doesn't want to take any responsibility you know that apathy and inaction is another big challenge that when you go through so may i ask you earlier mentioned the the risks inherent in rescuing uh girls from a brothel women from a brothel um and the personal risk to to you that 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 brings what what drives you to do that uh and i know you have a powerful personal story about how you started your organization would you would you mind telling that uh, to people who are unfamiliar with with you and and your background and how you started your organization and why you started your organization i think if you ask me why i started my organization i would say anger drove me to it anger yes that could be a powerful motivating force for some yeah but you know anger started me anger drives me anger sustains me anger continues to 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 drive me to do what i'm doing so anger is my all income is that sustainable over over the long term it's only increased over the years the angrier you get the yeah, harder you harder work the harder you harder i work and huh. more i i i try to channelize it into uh, 
a hope and sense of possibilities for many because i was angry at the age of 15 for being uh victimized for being a victim as a survivor of gang rape i was made to feel a thousand times that i was responsible for what happened to me i was excluded from my community i was uh, uh looked at as a person with loose morals and a uh, very bad character and uh, i was uh, the most dishonorable thing on the earth for for my family and community that angered me and that the sheer injustice of of being uh, accused of a crime that you never committed and uh, i think that anger is my my triggering point for 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 deciding and this is going to be my mission in my life that i'm going to be working for 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 victims who are victims of sex crime and then as i took further steps into my journey i felt sex slavery is far more grave sex crime than the individual sex crimes that happen around you and that's how i decided that i'm going to be working on sex trafficking and sex crimes you know in my life very very uh, uh, very sh- uh, uh, deep sense of anguish i say this that over the period of time the anger has not come down <laughs> the anger has only grown because i don't see any change in the way the victims are treated today you know and i don't see that the world has moved ahead it's it's not getting better it's not getting better is it Neither staying the, the same or is it getting worse neither the numbers are getting better in terms of the numbers of just growing but also the age and profile of the victim is also coming down mm. and uh, so in 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 a country like india i would meaning i've had uh, the 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 most uh, unfortunate experiences of knowing that an 8 month baby has been raped so mm. the anger grows mm-hmm. uh, as uh, as i get older but uh, I've been blessed to channelize uh what for somebody else would be a negative emotion for me is a very positive emotion I think anger is something um if rightly channelized can lead to the right actions and that is what I've been able to do Do you know are there any other sort of um individuals who in- inspire you who use that anger who channel that anger in 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 positive ways because this I mean to me personally i i it, it's interesting to hear that anger is like the sustaining force it makes sense um but I, i'm wondering if there are like any models you draw on for anyone else who's inspired you in order to ch- channel their anger in in positive ways i don't know i i haven't met anybody like that mm-hmm. or i've not been inspired by anybody mm-hmm. i i've never compared myself to anybody else or i i've not been maybe lucky enough to find role models in the way many i have been my greatest sense of support mm-hmm. uh, for what i do but then i can give you examples from history people who have used anger mahatma gandhi is one great example uh, i think his whole whole mission for freedom and liberty started when he was thrown out of a train mm-hmm. uh, while traveling with an english gentleman and that anger of discrimination uh is what what is supposed to have uh, led him to think about you know the 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 
the fight for truth mm-hmm. and that's called satyagraha 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 is, yeah, yeah. is the side fight for truth so course, yeah. uh, I, i think most people most human rights defenders across the world i think start from a, a sense of discontent and anger uh, for me it was not less of discontent but more of anger but uh, um i you know you know any situation mark mm-hmm. it is our choice you know what we make of that situation so earlier you you referenced that the there was like the the um spectrum of of the kinds of interventions you do start with the rescue and sort of end with the rehabilitation could you like walk me through a specific example of 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 an individual you rec- you um you rescued and then you know tell me about her journey towards rehabilitation sort of make this real for for people if, um, if possible but before i make that real for Please, yeah. for people let me just add on that my work doesn't start from rescue okay. it starts from prevention okay so it's prevention rescue rehabilitation reintegration and then advocacy so Ad- the entire yeah. cycle yes, yes. so uh, in prevention we uh, we educate a lot of children of women in prostitution mm. because uh, second generation prevention and intergenerational prevention mm. becomes one of the most important things because uh, uh, sometimes uh, children of um, of women in prostitution could be the first target for traffickers to 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 target they're the first potential victims for for trafficking so uh, preventing at that level itself makes it thing so uh, we we run run a lot of learning centers with over 9600 children mm-hmm. uh, in those learning learning center uh, also we we engage with the community we awaken the community to understand the dangers of trafficking and actually build what is called as community vigilant groups which is like self you know regulating community groups who are looking and checking out for for danger signs around trafficking because across the world if you understand especially sex trafficking you will know that it doesn't happen through a stranger so it happens through known people mm-hmm. they are the first spotters so and then the chain starts so you know making the community alert about those first spotters and making them be vigilant but also one of our major engagement is with men and boys Mm-hmm. So working with men and boys is one of our uh, biggest engagement in prevention and because if we believe that if demand is 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 addressed uh, automatically the supply will come down and the traffickers and the criminal networks who are in between trying to spot this to cater to this you know have no role to play because mm-hmm. and then they have to leave this uh, thing because there's no demand for mm-hmm. for children or young girls uh, in, in to, to for paid sex with them uh that is what we do before mm-hmm. but obviously we don't do a good job that's why we are still into rescue um and it's, a, I mean, it's a monumental task it is you're talking about change, changing sex. attitudes yeah. yeah yeah so long way to go mm-hmm. before we we actually uh, can can stop our prevention interventions uh, rescue is the ultimate scavenging job you know it's the it's ultimate scavenging job, job. Huh. so it's like cleaning up your uh, all the dirty act of the world you know and uh, 
the entire start of the rescue I've already told you it starts with information it's uh, it also is a very specialized operation in terms of getting the information validating the information uh, ensuring that the information is right and then working with the police to take that information and and do the operation and things like that but uh, post rescue uh, say it's a say it's a 15 year old girl you know and who was sold at the age of 10 so here is somebody who has already been in a brothel for 5 years so at the rate of 40 people a day she's she's slept with that many thousands of people you know uh, over a period of this many years so what is the kind of person you get in your hand uh, here is a person who is completely hostile to you mm-hmm person who has actually normalized the experience of being exploited a person who has got 100 kinds of diseases in her body sexually transmitted infections reproductive tract infection traumatic brain injuries all kinds of health ailments including hiv aids here is a person who could be a substance abuser an alcoholic uh, you know drug addict you know mm-hmm. and here is also a person who believes that getting raped is all right now mm. you know this is a person you you're getting in your hand so uh, any any intervention on their behalf has to be first psychologically healing you know and then move on to be physically empowering uh, and socially and economically empowering and then you know moving on to restoration restoration of their identity to dignity so any victim of this kind this 15 year old will go through first a whole lot of preliminary first responses that needs to be given like healthcare you know and trauma care and things like that so sometimes it takes a month month and a half to provide all these basic things mm-hmm. because there's a whole lot of diseases and especially if suppose a person is a substance abuser or alcoholic you know, you need to detoxify her and de-addict her till that time she will not she's not even willing to talk to you mm-hmm. you know so that itself is thing and uh, in this is in this space this person is um, is prone to be self-harming and she can harm others you know so here is a person who might attempt suicide you know and by mistake the suicide works out then you're done mm-hmm. you know then you have you're answerable to 100 other people outside mm-hmm. everybody is watching you outside right yeah. so at one end the traffickers are watching you another end the society is watching you to fail so there's a whole world which wants you to fail so you are on the edge you know inside you're on the edge outside and uh, so by the time you bring her out of all these all these uh, uh traumatic conditions of her mind uh, and it takes between one month to any any number of months for a person to acknowledge that she's a victim mm-hmm. you know so your work will start only when she starts acknowledging that i'm a victim i need help mm-hmm. you know to, if she's going to be repeatedly telling you that i don't need your help yeah and you know, and all, i mean i just keep thinking you're talking about like you know kids. Yeah. And and I mean these are not like adults that even under the best of circumstances would have the ability to process this. But these are their children. It's very difficult for adults or yeah. children to process it. In children it is it's much more difficult because uh most of the time children are kept in in, in actually good conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, given a lot of, you know, uh 
and nice things and all that so children are bribed mm-hmm. in multiple ways so you you don't know you know they 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 are more confused than ever mm-hmm. you know what is right and what is not right and then uh, slowly when they come out of that sense of that whole rut of feeling you know normalized and they actually start understanding that was not normal and that was an exploitation that they were subjected to that's when the actual psychosocial interventions would start you know when the person understands that she's she's a victim and she needs help mm-hmm. so then specialized uh, you know care is provided to her like psychiatric psychiatric services or counseling or group therapy and individual therapy which moves on to then age appropriate interventions mm-hmm. so if it is a child then maybe child likes to go for education you know so yeah. then she is molded in that way uh, if it's an adult then it will be maybe you know going towards uh, uh, you know f- finding some livelihood training and things like that in between this we need to uh, you know kind of restore their life skills uh, because uh, one of the biggest damages of 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 trafficking is that you completely you 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 removed from all the social skills that you had before mm-hmm. so you and you are given a whole set of new new set of you know behavior patterns so uh, if if we are uh, you know uh, whether you or me in our own different world settings that we come from if we are taught in a way that this is the right way to sit and right way to stand uh, in a brothel you are taught differently you know so if as a woman i am taught to keep my legs close by you know cl- closed and sit in 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 you know what do you say the right manner mm-hmm. and i don't know the right english yeah. word for it but then uh, you're not taught to keep your legs wide open and st- 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 but in a brothel this is what you are asked to do yeah. you know you sit you keep your legs wide open so you do develop a lot of body mannerism and you know your body language and your way that you you process things differently in a brothel so all that has to be changed you have to unlearn everything so that's what life skill does and then you get into livelihood training and again we ensure that people get into livelihood training based on their aptitude so today among our children if some of my children are doing medicine they're doing pharmacy they are lawyers they are professionals in multinational companies my adult women are working as security guards they're working as carpenters they're working as welders they're working as gym gym trainers they're working as television camera uh, person so a whole plethora of uh, possibility mm-hmm. is open for them but do they recover fully i don't think so it's a it's an ongoing process it is a whole you know for years it it uh, goes on but uh, the moment you start feeling that yes this person is now uh, and one of the main things that we we do in our in our safe space is to ensure that they learn to deal with rejection they learn to deal with social attitude and perception so we've been very clear with our people that don't think that the world is going to be mm-hmm. th- you know thing and so you have to be prepared for that mm-hmm. so you know so uh, when the person is ready uh, again as the person comes through a court order to us the person leaves through a court order from us and uh, so today thousands of children and young women are living a very independent dignified life outside at their terms and condition 
And, and so, so we're here in, in Yerevan and, and just to, to, to conclude, um, I suppose this is part of the advocacy side of, of, of and the awareness raising side of, of your job is, is what you're doing here, speaking to me now. Um, for people who are listening, who, who want to help you in, in your work, what um, are the best ways that they could support you, support your cause, support your organization? I think I would request everybody who's listening to me now to support the cause more than support me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think cause is bigger than me. So it's then, and, and supporting my cause means you have to start with your own families. You know, I think it's high time we started in, to engage with men and boys. And it starts, each one of us have to start with our own families. Mm-hmm. Because uh, today, more than ever, we need to start questioning and confronting why are men buying children from brothels and why do men seek paid sex with children and young adults so and i personally believe that safety of women doesn't lie with the women it lies with the attitude of men mm-hmm. and until unless that doesn't change nothing can change we can bring in many more legislations because a, a person like me uh, dreams of a day when I can close my organization. I don't dream of a day when I can sustain this organization forever. You know, I don't want this kind of organizations to be there in the world, and and that can only happen by when each one of us, you know, and each one of the wonderful people who are listening to this podcast take a decision and say, I will be a, a different parent. I will be a different girlfriend. I will be a different boyfriend. You know, and I will start in my own little world to start, you know, uh, you know, confronting these things. Something as simple as porn, you know, uh, viewing porn, you know, do you realize that it kind of triggers, a, you know, and generates a demand for, for paid sex? Mm-hmm. And because of the demand, there is somebody somewhere there who's getting sold for it. So, you know, see the connections, mm-hmm. see your see your involvement in the problem, see how you are contributing to the problem by your silence, by your inaction in your local spaces, you know. The change starts with the individual. Yes. Well, well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck. Thank you. Um, And and, uh, I'll I'll be following your work and and everyone will be following work and I'll post a link to your organization as well on on the website. Thank Thank you you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, huge thank you to Sunitha, not just for talking to me, uh, but for her work and, and for her life's work and for her commitment to this cause, which is so important and so valuable. And just thank you. Uh, and I'll post a link to Prejwala on the website, as I said. And if you are listening to this episode somewhat contemporaneously, you've probably heard an ad from the Aurora Humanitarian Initiative saying that uh, nominations for the 2019 Aurora Humanitarian Prize are now uh, open. So uh, visit auroraprize.com to uh, see how you can nominate someone. Now we'll see you later. Bye.